Welcome, everyone, to the end of September. And what that means is college football season goes way too quickly. Uh, but we're here with our latest edition on this Sunday night of BAMS Radio. I'm your host, Drew Armand, along with my co-host and wizard behind the curtain, Thomas Watts, as he produces this program each week. Also, our third amigo is with us, William Redfish Barger, 1992 national champion, and, of course, from 89 to 93, a member of the offensive line for the Alabama Crimson Tide. And we're going to review the 56-14 to beatdown as Alabama, with a 49 nothing lead at halftime, completely eviscerated Louisiana Lafayette. I still have to call them that. I, I know they could, they're the University of Louisiana, but they'll always be Louisiana Lafayette to me. As uh, the Crimson Tide whips former uh, Alabama assistant Billy Napier, and uh, they uh, cruise to another win. Tua Tungabailoa, the surgeon, the legend grows. 8 of 8, 128 yards, two touchdowns. And now, beyond a shadow of a doubt, as we expected, no red shirt for Jalen Hurts. He comes in four out of six, over 100 yards, throws a touchdown himself, does a very nice job as the backup, gets a huge ovation from the Crimson Tide, and faithful, and we see the first touchdown pass of Mac Jones' career, and how memorable was it? 94 yards to the electric one, Jalen Waddell, who had over 200 all-purpose yards and three big touchdowns and was probably the MVP of the game for me. But uh, now to go to our amigo, William Redfish Barger. William, uh, good evening, sir. A workmanlike performance from Alabama, and as we talked about last week, they got a chance to play a lot of young players. Yeah, I think, you know, the, you know from a coaching standpoint, you know, that game yesterday was a uh, probably a, one of the most difficult, you know, games that the end. There's still a couple more on the schedule you know, that gives Nick Saban nightmares at night. You know, you know that you've got them outmanned, you've got more talent. You know, getting the team to go out there and, and play for four quarters at a high level is almost impossible. Um, you know, there's been a lot of people complaining, a lot of Alabama fans complaining about the, you know, the defense defensive performance in the second half. But, you know, um, when, when you're you go into the locker room and you're up 50 points, you know you can expect a letdown. I, I don't worry about that at all. You know the two takeaways for me um, yesterday that you know needs to be improved upon, and I think the, the first one has you know kind of you know reared its head in, in all the you know the first five games. You know I think the the defense has to get better um, at finishing tackles and tackling in space. Um, you know, go back to the, you know, the Kellen Mond big run two weeks ago versus Texas A&M, uh, you know, two missed tackles for a sack. Um, you saw the linebackers struggle yesterday making tackles in space. And, and, you know, I do see some bad angles and, and run fit issues that have to be worked out with the two inside linebacker guys there. Uh, but, you know, like you said, it, it was uh, – you know, very workmanlike performance. Um, they executed at a high level in the first half. Um, you know, Jalen Waddle, I think, uh, you know, stole the show. Uh, I think he proved um, yesterday why the coaching staff felt like he was the most explosive offensive player in the country last year as a high school senior. Um, you know, it was great getting to see the, the young guys play, albeit it may not be to the level that some, some of the fans – you know, expect them to play too, and, and I'll agree with them to a certain extent. I'm sure Nick Saban, um, you know, agrees with them. Um, you know, my, my two big takeaways, especially when you see the the continuing missed tackles 
um, and the run fit issues. Um, I, I'm, I'm ready to see, you know, during the month of October, Drew, I'm ready to see number 10 and number 42, um, especially since, it's, you know, it's obvious they're not going to get redshirted with their work on special teams. I'm ready to see Cahoe and, and Jalen Moody get some work at inside linebacker if, if Markel Benton um, can't turn in a better performance than what he did yesterday. Um, but all in all, um, you know, you come out of a game like that with no injuries. Um, you know, Tua, you know, got his reps in, got out. Uh, you know, Jalen performed at a good level. You know, Matt Jones had that pass to Jalen Waddle. Um, you know, that he took the distance. But uh, you know, all in all, um, you know, despite the level of competition, um, you know, I thought the team played really well, executed at a high level. And, uh, you know, I think they've got another chance to, uh, you know, get the starters off the field early this coming weekend against Arkansas. And I thought, William, uh, one of the, uh, you know, the, the big storylines of the game, of course, uh, was a uh, one that we found very interesting. Now, he's been uh, practicing at center two weeks ago. He played about half the game there. Uh, Jonah Williams tweaked his ankle, not considered serious. Jedrick Wills had an injury that's not considered serious. So we saw Matt Womack get uh, back in the mix at right tackle. But I thought seeing for about half the game, Chris Owens now play left tackle. I thought he did exceptionally well. And I asked Ross Piersbaker about him after the game. He talked about how smart, uh, you know, Chris was. He's an older guy, now redshirt sophomore. Uh, you know, somebody that can play all five positions. So it's obvious he's going to be the swing guy from now on. But I thought it, we saw that in a pinch, if Jonah Williams has another issue, that Chris Owens can be counted on to play winning football at multiple positions. And I thought uh, offensively, besides, of course, the first group playing so well, I thought that was a huge, uh, you know, positive for Alabama as they continue to uh, try to develop depth along that offensive line. Yeah, I'm gonna. I agree with you to a certain extent, Drew. I mean, I think it's a very positive that, that Chris Owens can, you know, play in the SEC at multiple positions. You know, at least in, in multiple games, he's played left tackle and center. But you know, to me, it kind of speaks more so to the lack of development of maybe the prettiest guy on the team and Scott Lashley. Um, you know, that didn't very get true. Ball, you know, when jo- when Jonah came out. And, you know, he's still a young guy. I kind of giggled a little bit a minute ago when you said that uh, uh, Owens was a veteran on the team and an upperclassman, and he's just a sophomore. And that's kind of a byproduct of the recruiting, I think, more than anything. Um, But, you know, I think this offensive line is doing fine. You know, the the guy that's still, um, you know, is kind of bringing up the rear there is, is Alex Leatherwood. You know, now with Matt Womack coming back, um, you know, could we possibly see, you know, Womack go back to right tackle and Jedrick Wills go to right guard and Leatherwood go on the bench, you know, something to talk about. Um, you know, I, I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. But, you know, obviously Leatherwood's got to pick up the pace a little bit. Still a very young guy in year two. Um, but, you know, he has been kind of the low man on the totem pole with the way the line's graded out. Um, and, again, I don't think yesterday's the, you know, the, the game to use. I think last weekend was, you know, throughout the course of the season because I think that was a very legitimate front seven that they faced uh, versus Texas A&M. But, um, you know, still, you, you know, you got people complaining about the, uh, you know, the offensive line and the lack of a downhill running game. And, you know, I thought Nick Saban spelled it out perfectly Thursday night on his radio show. You know, we're not a downhill running team anymore. We're a spread RPO team. 
and there, there's two different skill sets involved there. And, you know, when you've got a quarterback like Tua Tungabailoa that can sell that fake and, you know, pop up and throw an accurate pass to a receiver on a slant or a tight end on a, on a seam pass, uh, I would much rather at this stage in the game of college football, you know, this isn't 2012 anymore. Um, I would much rather be a fan of that offense versus what we saw, you know, from 2008 through 2013 from Nick Saban. Um, you know, you've got the receivers to do it. You've got the line to do it. Um, you know, you didn't see a sack yesterday um, out of the offensive line, you know, when, when the quarterbacks were in there. Um, so, you know, I think they're making progress. They're getting better at what they're asked to do. And uh, it's fun to watch. I mean, it's pick your poison. You know, how do you defend them? Yeah, it really is. I mean, uh, the offense has uh, been fun to watch. And Tua, once again, so efficient, eight for eight. I thought he made the throw of the game on the first drive. He had to kind of dodge a defender, reset, and then move through a perfect corner route to Henry Ruggs third. Henry had his first 100-yard game of his career. Also caught it catching up a, a nice throw from Jalen Hurts for his only touchdown uh, pass of the game for an explosive play. And then, of course, uh, you know, I, I thought also Tua made an outstanding throw to Waddle in the back of the end zone uh, for during his final series when he came out briefly in the third quarter uh, to run the two-minute drill. So uh, just I thought it was very interesting uh, that to, uh, to watch this offense continue to develop. Uh, and continue to evolve. I agree they're not a downhill running team. The one thing I've kind of been surprised at and people have been asking me about is the lack of carries for Damian Harris. He did not play a lot yesterday. Uh, they, they, of course, in the second half, it didn't surprise me that Najee Harris and certainly uh, uh, Brian Robinson got a lot of work considering that really what's evolved is the top two backs are Damian Harris and Josh Jacobs. But Josh Jacobs has kind of turned into the goal line guy, William, very effective inside the red zone as a runner and receiver. Uh, but have you been surprised at the, the lack of work for Damian Harris, or is this just a situation where they know what they've got with Damian, and, and you know, especially down the stretch in November, he's going to be fresh and ready to roll? Well, not, not just down the stretch in November, Drew. I think this is something that Nick Saban continues to sell to all those five-star running backs that he gets on campus is you're not going to be busted and broken by the time you get to the next next level in the NFL. And, um, you know, certainly uh, I think Damian understands his role. I mean, he, he's the alpha there, you know, at the running back position. I, I was glad to finally see some, you know, multiple carries for the true freshman, Jerome Ford, that you got to see yesterday. Um, but, but, no, I mean, i tell you what I'd like to see um, – is, uh, you know, especially after you saw the injury to Jonah Williams and the injury to uh, Jedrick Wills, which weren't serious, and I'm not so sure if maybe, uh, you know, they weren't orchestrated to a certain extent. You know, I'd like to see all the starters, um, you know, get taken out of the game. When you're up 50 to, you know, nothing or 49 to nothing at halftime, you know, put put all the twos out there. Let Jalen Hurts go out there and get to work in the, the third quarter. And then, you know, let Matt Jones take over, um, you know, behind that, you know, quote-unquote second-team offensive line. Let's see more of, you know, Derek Keefe and, and Terrell Shavers and, you know, the, some of these other backup wide receivers and, uh, you know, try and preserve, you know, the depth that we've got with the front-line players. 
on both sides of the football. You know, I don't want to see, you know, Quentin Williams and Raquan Davis and Moses or Wilson out there when it's 50 to nothing in the third quarter either. Certainly, I want to continue to see the young players play, and Damian Harris will have his time. Uh, he's certainly going to make plays, and Alabama's just blessed, as you said, with a lot of running back talent. They've got four guys that are exceptional. Jerome Ford also has seen a lot of action, did some good things yesterday. So no running back core deeper than the University of Alabama's. That's certainly uh, evident. And happy for Derek Keefe, a guy that's a fifth-year senior. He gets a big block punt. Of course, later on uh, from Mac Jones, he did drop a ball that would have given Alabama a first and goal at the two after he took a hard shot. But he has stayed with the program. I had a chance to talk to him after the game, too. And I asked him with all these transfers and fifth-year and graduates why he had stayed with Alabama. And he said, really, he just loved the Crimson Tide. Uh, he loves winning. He said, you know, this this program is always competing for championships. And he said it felt like it made a man out of him, you know, because it's certainly he wanted to play more and, and touch the football. But uh, he felt like that he grew as a person. Uh, and, and, of course, really enjoys working under Josh Gaddis. He was talking about uh, the quality coaching they get at Alabama. But uh, always happy for a guy like Derek Keefe to, to play a role in the game and, and have a big play early with that block punt uh, and, and, and buy into his role uh, as a special teams performer and, you know, make the most of his reps. He had, does have a couple of touchdown catches in his career, William. But uh, that, I think that's what sets Nick Saban's program apart from others is they get a lot of buy-in uh, for guys that are heavily recruited that accept, uh, you know, roles that maybe not are, aren't featured ones, but they become valuable members of the team. Yes, they do. Now, you know, after getting a chance to think about it a minute, I, I had a chance to uh, relive the game yesterday. And what what the the best moment for me was, and you know, for somebody that's you know brutally honest and hard on the fan base, I, I've got to tip my cap to uh, you know the standing ovation that they gave Jalen Hurts yesterday, because um, so many people. Um, have crow to eat on what his intentions for, for this year were, um, you know, taking off and, and, you know, doing the Kelly Bryant routine after the fourth game, um, you know, and, I, and I've tried to tell people throughout this whole process um, that Jalen Hurts may have replaced Julio Jones as Nick Saban's favorite player, um, and, and I'll be more than happy to debate anybody that wants to talk about that. You can, you can just read the tea leaves from what Nick Saban says in his press conferences. Um, you know, the guy's taking advantage of a very good opportunity, um, you know, that he's had to work under Dan Enos. And, you know, I would even make this statement. Um, it's interesting to me, and I think this probably played more into Nick Saban's decision to hire, you know, a proven quarterback whisperer in Dan Enos to be the 10th member of this 2018 staff. Uh, you know, Jalen Hurts looked like a pretty competent quarterback in 2016 under Lane Kiffin. Um, who's got a lot of, you know, a proven track record with quarterbacks. He's looked like one that's been pretty good this year. Um, I haven't seen it, you know, after the Lafayette game. I can't imagine it going backwards based on how bad some of these other guys look, like Jarrett Stidham and uh, Jake Bentley. But, you know, look how competent Jalen's looked this year after Dan Enos has worked with him. You know, going into the game Saturday, uh, Tua Tungavailoa had the number one QBR rating in the SEC, and Jalen Hurts had the number three. So kind of tells you a little bit about how important a guy that knows how to coach quarterbacks and develop them is. And uh, I expect Dan Enos to be a very, very valuable member of the program going forward uh, for many years. So let, let, let's just play what if here, Drew. 
Um, I don't think it's going to happen this year, although if he keeps it up, uh, you know, there is a chance, you know, come mid-January that maybe Mike Loxley gets the offer of a head coaching job. Right. But let's say that he doesn't. Let's just say that he doesn't. And let's just say that, you know, somebody offers Enos the offensive coordinator job at a Power 5 program. Why would that guy want to leave, especially if the money's equal, which you know it's going to be, when you're sitting there looking at possibly back-to-back-to-back national championships and at least one Heisman Trophy winning quarterback? That guy's not going anywhere. Well, and the interesting thing, too, is Loxley – Watch the Maryland job. I know it's a difficult one, but as you know, he has deep ties out yeah, there in his self. That's where his yeah, roots are. Yeah, and they're, DJ Durkin is on leave. I don't think he'll ever coach another game there. They'll certainly probably have a search, and if Alabama wins the national championship, Loxley with his recruiting ties would probably be attractive there, and then that would just move Dan Enos into that spot. Then it would be interesting to see what Coach Saban would do with the opening. Uh, because, you know, would he bring in another quarterback's coach? I would say no. I would say Enos would probably be OC and QB coach. Uh, but certainly, uh, you know, they could bring in, uh, you know, somebody, uh, with the, maybe, uh, with, with, you know, that, uh, you could bring in someone that, uh, could take over, maybe tight ends. Jeff Banks could just coach special teams or, uh, you know, the, you just, there's a myriad of possibilities. I mean, uh, you could yeah, an additional uh, line coach. Yeah, an additional maybe guards and tackles, something like that. It would be very interesting to see the move uh, by Coach Saban uh, if uh, if uh, we see uh, Coach Loxley get a chance to become uh, a head coach somewhere. But I think Loxley's also done an amazing job calling plays. There's a lot of speculation. Absolutely. A lot of people did not like the fact that he got the OC's job, but he's certainly proven uh, to be worthy of it and done a great job thus far, no question about it. But uh, now uh, as uh, we continue the conversation, uh, I guess the only other real lowlights uh, of the game, I mean, as you said, some of the young players struggled uh, defensively. They're going to have to keep maturing, but playing time is so valuable. Uh, the only other real issue, I guess, was place kicking. We saw uh, Joseph uh, Bulevas miss two short field goals, one of the last one from 31 yards out going off the upright which means we could see some more competition in practice from Austin Jones. Uh, it's a small thing, but certainly one where there's going to be some angst because at some certain point Alabama may need, you know, the field goal kicker to come through. Uh, how concerning is it, William? What do you kind of expect coming out of this week from the kicking game? I don't view it as, as, as big of a problem as some people might. You know, to me, I think the – you know, the one week link that I've seen starting with the Louisville game throughout uh, Saturday versus, you know, uh, uh, UIL um, is the, the linebackers and the secondary tackling in space. I mean, you know, you saw Josh Job missing tackles Saturday. Um, you know, I've seen both Mac Wilson, which, you know, he's playing through an injury, and Dylan Moses, um, you know, kind of struggle with, you know, run fits. Uh, you know, taking proper angles. You know, you look at, um, which, which I certainly don't ding a guy like this, but, you know, you saw Anthony Jennings versus Texas A&M take the same angle that he would have taken last year when he was 100% healthy on, on that uh, run that, that Kellen Mond had. And, excuse me, not Kellen Mond, Trevion Williams. And, uh, you know, he, 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 he was, you know, a nanosecond away from making the play and just couldn't do it. To me, I, I think the – the number one thing that needs to be improved on this team on both sides of the football, and I'm not worried about Bullivus. I think 
you know, Nick Saban's got a lot of confidence in him. I think, you know, if he is, in fact, called on, um, you know, last Sunday when we did this show, we were talking about the crappy punter, Drew, and you never saw him Saturday in the game. Um, I'm not so sure that um, a good field goal kicker or not is going to make a difference until they get into the, you know, maybe the SEC championship game or the playoffs. Um, I don't know if you've seen the, the numbers that have come out uh, from Las Vegas based on Alabama's remaining schedule. And, uh, you know, they're an 18 to 21 point favorite, you know, over LSU, Auburn, and Georgia in the, the uh, SEC championship game. So I, I'd like to see, you know, the back end guys on the defense. And I'm not banging on Trevon Diggs or Patrick Sertain or McKinney or, or, or Thompson. It, it's really at the inside linebacker position from what I've seen. Yeah, they, yeah, I agree. I think that's where they need the, you know, the most growth in production uh, defensively. I think the first group has been good, except for the run defense from the inside backers. Certainly, I think Jennings will get better as the season goes on uh, from his knee injury. I think we've seen really good stuff out of Christian Miller so far. I think Anoma is going to continue to become a bigger factor, uh, certainly as well. Uh, it would, I agree. If you hope to see some more Jalen Moody, that block was devastating on uh, Jalen Waddle's punt return. Uh, but speaking of Jalen Waddle, it was a big topic in the press box, you know, seeing him play. Uh, he drew a lot of comparisons to David Palmer, except with more front-end speed. Uh, he's probably so far as a punt returner, William, and I loved Javier Arenas. No disrespect to Javi, who had a great career at Alabama. Eddie Jackson had a great uh, senior season returning punts before being injured. But Jalen Waddle is the closest I've seen to your former teammate, and you got to see him in practice all the time. You were there playing with him. Uh, is that an apt description? Is he the most electric punt returner at Alabama, Jalen Waddle, since your former teammate, uh, David Palmer? No, I would even put him a class ahead of David because I think he's got much, much better top-end speed. I mean, you're talking about, you know, a guy, David Palmer, who was elusive, uh, but, you know, was probably a four-seven-five guy. I've heard some of the – you know, the current Alabama players say that Waddle's the fastest player on the team. Um, you know, one guy that I would make a comparison to him with uh, for you to watch going backwards and forwards is both Jalen Waddle and Jerry Judy, um, when they change directions and they do a jump cut, just how quickly they can go back to the opposite direction. Hell, even Tua's got a little bit of it at a slower um, pace. Uh, he's kind of got that same cadence um, when he breaks out and gets into the open field that you know, can shake people down. I, I haven't seen um, three guys, once they get into the open field, that can change directions like that and, and put their foot into the ground and, and go the other way. And certainly, I think, you know, Waddle and Judy have it um, to, to an elite level. And, and for somebody that a lot of people don't think is a run threat as a quarterback. I, I think Tua's got it to a lesser degree. Uh, you know, certainly he's not a, uh, you know, a 4-4 guy like Judy. And, you know, some people say that Waddle's a, you know, a, a low 4-4, high 4-3-9 guy. Um, but, you know, that that's scary. And, and watching somebody that can do that um, is just amazing to me, regardless of the competition. Um, I, I thought, you know, th those passes that I saw, um, you know, Judy get versus Old Miss, uh, A&M, and last Saturday, you know, certainly we've all seen what, what Waddle's been able to do 
uh, returning punts, and also once he gets the ball in his hands. And to me, that that's what makes this wide receiver group special, Drew, is, you know, you hear all this background noise about how Alabama wants a damn, you know, big, tall, physical wide receiver. Well, they don't have one in the starting four or even five right now. All those guys are clones of each other. They're all somewhere between 5'10 and 6 foot. Um, but what they do after they get the ball in their hands, um, I, I would debate anybody that that is more important. You know, and then certainly, I mean, you've got, uh, you know, those Texas A&M wide receivers. You know, you've got Seth Williams at Auburn, Justin Ross, and those Clemson wide receivers. But I, I wouldn't trade this wide receiver uh, room for anybody else in the country. What they do once they get their ball in their hands is outwardly. And before we talk about Tua and some other quarterbacks around the country, have you seen improvement out of these wide receivers due to Josh Gaddis? To me, it looks like they've become a little bit more efficient with their route running. Uh, and, you know, and, and, I, and Derek Keefe was talking about the tricks that they've learned from Coach Gaddis. Um, you know, Drew, I, I thought they were pretty well-finished products last year as true freshmen, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, um, once they got the ball distributed to them, um, you know, they, they took it to the house on multiple occasions as true freshmen. Um, yeah, I mean, I, what I think I've seen more so than anything is the one thing I can probably credit to Josh Gaddis is how well they all block downfield uh, when somebody else either has the football or on a running play. Um, you know, I, I just think that, um, you know, when you've got a quarterback that can distribute the football to, you know, those three or four guys down the field, uh, Hell Hinches or Irv Smith underneath, and, and certainly Smith can do some things once he gets the ball in his hands. Um, Josh Jacobs or Damian Harris on swing passes. Um, you know, I'm a little bit hesitant to, you know, give Josh, cre- Josh Gaddis maybe more credit than he deserves versus just saying, um, you know, maybe it's more the Jimmys and Joes versus the X's and O's in his his uh, wide receiver room. Yeah, it's a, they do have a lot of talent, no doubt, and hopefully we'll start seeing some more out of uh, Terrell Shavers. He's uh, been a, bit, a little bit slow to get into the rotation, but certainly when you got the top four Alabama's got, you can't really blame them. And uh, what a great job uh, those guys have done living up to it thus far, and Jalen Wall getting more and more comfortable. But now that we're going to talk about quarterbacks, to a tongue of Iloa. I mean, uh, you know, he's he's just been amazing this year, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, you know, there's there was a lot of pressure on him coming into the season, no question. Uh, but when you look at it, uh, you know, uh, Tua, as I tweeted earlier today, you know, I just uh, I, I just wanted to tweet out his updated stats and got some info. And uh, and by the way, for everybody, if you haven't heard so yet, for the first time since uh, August the fourth. Uh, they will have Tua speaking to the media on Tuesday, uh, so I'm sure that's going to be a circus, uh, as he is going to be made available by the University of Alabama to kind of talk about his season thus far. Uh, so uh, that Tua Tungvaloa will be speaking to the media, uh, and we'll see uh, what uh, you know uh, what he has to say following his first uh, month of the season. Uh, but uh, uh, what what I was going to say is just the the numbers put up by by Tua Tungvaloa uh, have been nothing short of astounding. Uh, yesterday he was 8 of 8, 128 yards, two touchdowns, and this is amazing. His QB rating on third down, 
352.51, which is by far and away by, I think, 140 points better than anybody's in the country. I think Kyler Murray is a, a distant second. 18 of 21, 392 yards on third down, seven touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, and, of course, by quarter, he's 30 of 42, 596 yards, eight TDs. Second quarter, 24 of 27, 337 and four TDs. And in the third quarter, 12 of 19, 228 yards, two touchdowns. And he has no stats in the fourth quarter because he hasn't appeared in the fourth quarter yet. Uh, his stats for the season, 66 of 88, 1,161 yards, 75% completion percentage, 14 touchdowns, no interceptions. And William talked about his underrated ability to run, 20 rushes, 115 yards, two touchdowns, nearly six yards per carry. And, of course, as we've said, leading the nation in yards per attempt, which is uh, just another uh, just eye-popping statistic. But, William, we've seen now, uh, I think you and I were both watching Ohio State, Penn State closely last night. Uh, you know, Dwayne Haskins has been getting a lot of buzz. I watched him. He was a good player, but the more I watch him and the more I see these other uh, young men around the country, I know Kyler Murray is putting up big stats. But so far, I haven't seen a quarterback that can hold a candle to Tua. Uh, what are your thoughts on what you've seen out of some of these other guys? We'll see Drew Locke in a couple weeks bring Missouri into Bryant-Denny Stadium. He he could be a first-round draft choice. Jarrett Stidham is struggling behind a porous O-line at Auburn. Uh, but what are your thoughts on Tua as compared to some of the other quarterbacks you've seen around the country? Well, you know, I think, you know, three guys, I would say, um, right here in the SEC that, that were really hyped up that, you know, the fan bases when all the, you know, the off season, you know, hype that was generated on Tua that, that all went crazy. You know, first of all, it was Auburn with Jarrett Stidham. Um, it was Missouri with Drew Locke and, and certainly Georgia with Jake Fromm. Um, you know, and, and I would, I would go reverse in talking about this. Um, it seems like Kirby Smart is going to be very stubborn in the way that he runs, you know, the, the quarterback rotation over there at Georgia. Um, I thought it was blatantly obvious versus Tennessee that, that if you want to have a chance of knocking off Alabama or getting a chance to have a national championship, um, in, you know, in the last two weeks that I've watched Jake Fromm versus Tennessee and Missouri, um, you, you better start getting Justin Fields ready to go because that, that's your only chance. Jake Fromm is a game manager that doesn't like pressure getting put in his face. Um, now, he does have the supporting cast around him to be very successful, and I'm not saying he's not going to be. Um, you know, I think Drew Locke um, doesn't have the supporting cast around him. He's got some good wide receivers, but they're banged up and hurt. Um and, you know, then again, we get down to Jarrett Stidham. Um, you know, I, I've never been sold on that guy. I thought last year, um, you know, in certain situations, maybe the first game out of the gate versus Clemson when they sacked him 11 times. You know, that, that guy does not like having to have pressure in his face. He doesn't like getting hit. Uh, despite being misevaluated in high school, he is not a dual-threat quarterback. Um so, you know, when I say all that, my point being is um, you, you don't see Tua, you know, get rattled uh, when there's pressure in his face, and he's had that so far this year. You know, when he does take off and run, um, he, he's sneaky fast, in my opinion, and also salty as hell. I mean, uh, 
you know, between his dad and Trent Dilfer and Dan Enos and Nick Saban, I wish somebody would tell him to, you know, slide. But he, he won't do it. Uh, he wants to lower his shoulder and run your ass over. And I appreciate that about him as a former offensive lineman. But but as far as, you know, these, these other top guys in the SEC trying to evaluate them uh, versus Tua, I, I don't think it's any comparison. And, you know, I heard all the buildup, Drew, about Drew Haskins. You know, there was some national writers that wanted to, uh, you know, either anoint Kyler Murray or Drew Haskins for the Heisman. Um, you know, I think Drew Haskins kind of fits in that same mold, um, you know, with Stidham from and uh, Locke. Uh, does not like to have pressure put in his face. If he's got a clean pocket and his wide receivers don't drop the ball, which they do have a bad habit of doing, that's something that, you know, Tua doesn't really have to worry about. His, his receivers don't drop a lot of passes. Um, I, I certainly think that he's the cream of the crop, uh, you know, so far this year um, with, with what he's been able to do. And, you know, it, it, it's funny to watch this stuff. Um, you know, despite the Georgia Bulldogs being undefeated through five games, you've got a mutiny over there. Um, on, you know, why is Kirby Smart keep playing the game manager versus, you know, uh, Justin Fields, who I think is a very dynamic player and makes their offense more dangerous. Um, you know, they're not going to be able to do anything different with Drew Locke at Missouri. That situation is what it is. And, uh, you know, this offense at Auburn, um, you know, under Jarrett Stidham, I mean, he is, you know, kind of shrunk and gone into a shell. You know, doesn't have a good offensive line, doesn't have a an established running back. The one established running back that he had got hurt yesterday, and also so did his left tackle and right tackle. So, you know, that that, that, that situation at Auburn could go south in a hurry. Um, I, I just think that, you know, this, this Tua Tungabailoa, um, you know, I totally agree with you. He's a generational talent. Um, he can make every throw. Um, and, and the other thing that I think from a former offensive lineman um, where I used to get the go call from the quarterback that he was fixing to take off and run and, you know, go block downfield, um, he, he doesn't need a lot of that. He, he makes a lot of that stuff happen himself. He's, he's a pretty dynamic runner in his own right. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this through crimson-colored glasses and not trying to be a homer, but at the same time, I'm looking at it with, you know, the best talent available. And, you know, Tua Tonga-Vailoa is a freak show in his own right, but he's got a uh, NFL offensive line, a loaded running back room, and a loaded wide receiver room, and he's going to continue to uh, cause a lot of problems. Um, let's, let's be honest here. Um, the month of October is going to be nothing but a bunch of scrimmages, just like this last Saturday was. I don't know if this team will be tested again, and they may not be tested. Um, in the month of October, um, especially depending on what happens two weeks from now with that Georgia-LSU matchup. Um, you know, it might be the college football playoffs before Tua gets tested. And now I'm going to bring Thomas Watson, our producer extraordinaire and co-host. Thomas, uh, your thoughts thus far on what you've seen from Tua Tungvaluwa through this first month in this Alabama offense? And, and uh, you know, what do you think uh, that Alabama uh, is going to have to wait until – a red stick to be tested with unbeaten LSU. Of course, LSU's got a couple of huge tests the next two weeks. 
uh, as they travel to Gainesville, and then the uh, unbeaten Georgia Bulldogs will be coming to town uh, to take on uh, LSU in two weeks. So to, to answer your question, I don't think Alabama will truly be challenged until the SEC championship game. I have never, I've throughout the season never been blown away by LSU. You know, the only really complimentary thing you can say is LSU absolutely knows who they are. They're going to try and beat you up and they're going to play really good defense, beat you up at the run, play really good defense. And to Joe Burrow's credit, he has been able to complete throws in crunch time. Unfortunately, when it's outside of crunch time, he's been extremely hit or miss. Now, he could evolve, he could grow, blah, 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 whatever. But I just haven't seen it, and I still really don't think that coaching staff, like, I, I, I have serious questions about their ability to fold their own laundry, let alone coach a coherent football team. So I, I'm, not, I'm still not worried about LSU. If they go and smash Georgia in a, in a couple of weeks – you know, I'll absolutely eat my crow pie on this program. I personally don't see that happening, but you know that that's still to be set, still to happen. Auburn, meh, wake me up when they have an offensive line. And, and you know, just to kind of piggyback off a point with Georgia, and th- th- I read something similar to this, and I'd been kind of trying to puzzle it out with the Bulldogs. What is the Georgia identity? You know, what do they want to be? You know, yes, they want to win a championship and blah, blah, blah. But, like, how do they want to do it? Because I feel like what they're doing is hoping that the fact that they're deploying an extremely talented roster and just sort of plodding along, making plays, and then as the other team decides to get tired, starts to get tired naturally through that sort of game, they're going to, you know, be able – their superior talent will show out. Well, okay, that works great for most teams, but Alabama's already gotten less miles fired for trying to do the exact same thing. I, I don't really get it. But, you know, again, to your question, Drew, if Alabama stays healthy, I don't see them getting pushed into the SEC championship game. And if Alabama and Georgia both make it to the championship game, you know, we're having this show – December 10th or whenever the hell it is um, after the SEC championship and Alabama's going and won by two or three touchdowns, frankly, I won't be shocked. Yeah, and uh, I think uh, Alabama, they just have to stay hungry, and I think this group will. I think the coaching staff has got enough uh, that they can work on. And like Coach Saban said in the postgame yesterday, you know, uh, it creates good team morale when a lot of guys are getting to play. Of course, he wants the younger guys to play to a higher standard and play better, uh, but that's part of it. I mean, you're going to have guys struggle. They're not ready to play yet. They kind of get exposed, but it, and then they can show them on film. And you got to go back and you got to grind and practice, and you got to work. So far, uh, the injuries, uh, you know, have not bit Alabama hard. Uh, you know, I, you know, Jonah Williams had a scare yesterday. Certainly, Jedrick Wills did too. So, I think Alabama is fine, though going into this game with Arkansas. Thomas, to go back to you before we go to William and ask him his opinion. Uh, Arkansas scared Texas A&M yesterday, 24-17 in Arlington at Jerry World. They, you know, lost a one-sided game to Auburn but held them to 225 yards. Alabama is a 35-point favorite uh, going into Fayetteville. 
do you see them massacring Arkansas? Well, just to touch on A&M Arkansas, it, it has been established when you play a Nick Saban-led team at Alabama, you have a higher-than-normal tendency to lose twice. Bama beats you, and then for whatever reason, you put so much into the Bama game that you kind of sleepwalk through the next one, and you struggle. That's the, the, the date on that's actually kind of funny. But to the Arkansas question, and it, this is kind of the to expand upon it, Drew, the, the real question should be what's it going to take to stop this Alabama offense? Because, you know, think about the point totals we've seen. 52, 62, 45, 56, and I'm sure I'm dropping one. But anyway, we're and it's yes, those teams in many cases have been middling to bad, but so is Arkansas. So I, I don't know what they have, like looking at their team, that makes me, you know, stand up and say, wow, they're going to be able to put the kibosh on the Alabama RPO game for four quarters. I think Alabama's going to roll in and just keep rolling. You know, nobody has stopped Tua Tonga-Vailoa. And at this point, you can't even say there's not a lot of tape on him. You know what he can do. Try and find a tendency. I will say, given that we've seen Dave Aranda undress Jalen Hurts pretty badly in two seasons, I'll be interested to see how he deploys his defense in early November. But in terms of Arkansas, you know, I think this is going to be another game where it's over – by halftime, Alabama will cruise in 35-3, 35-7, in final score 49-10, 56-10. If, uh, if Arkansas gives a couple of turnovers, it could get real ugly real quick, Drew. Certainly could, and uh, I'm going to, of course, get uh, William's take. William, this Arkansas team is struggling. Uh, they've got Ty Story and Cole Kelly at quarterback rotating them. Can't really get any consistency. John Chavis' defense looks like it's getting a little bit better, but certainly they haven't faced anything like what, what they're going to see from the University of Alabama. They've really struggled in special teams, giving up explosive returns. Uh, you know, Alabama will be traveling for an 11 a.m. kickoff in Fayetteville. Uh, just, uh, but uh, it, it looks like a complete mismatch on paper. Uh, your thoughts on the matchup with Arkansas? You know, I think you saw them, you know, kind of shoot their load last Saturday versus Texas A&M. You know, they capitalized on, uh, you know, what I would call the, the, the Bama fatigue factor. Um, you know, and, and you know, to me, Drew, I think the, the biggest thing that came out of that game was, um, you know, you've seen so many people, um, you know, try and take Jimbo Fisher to task for, uh, you know, grabbing one of his players' face masks. Um, I can't tell you how dysfunctional I think that is, that people think that that's something that is out of the norm for college football. Um, I not only have neck issues from coaches at Alabama grabbing my face mask, um, I've got hearing damage from Coach Fuller's whistle hitting me in the ear hole uh, for five years. So uh, I applaud Jimbo Fisher for, you know, doing what he did. That, that's what football is all about. Um, it's not normal society. It, it's, you know, getting men, getting young boys um, and trying to teach them how to be men. And, uh, you know, I, I thought that's what he did Saturday uh, during the Arkansas game. Now, to answer your question, um, I don't – I agree with Thomas. I mean, I think this could be something that, 
could be like a you know a 35 to seven type game at halftime. Um, it could really spin out of control in the second half. That they just don't have the the horses on both sides of the line of scrimmage to uh, uh, keep pace with Alabama. And you know I think it also turns into uh, a situation you know that falls back into Nick Saban's lap. You know how long and deep do you let Tua play? Um, you know if he does, it could be 60 to seven. Could be, and uh, as we're winding it down here uh, at the University of Alabama, uh, I, I, what I'd like to do for all three of us is kind of give the team grades for the first month. Uh, certainly, we know uh, that, that we knew that game yesterday was going to be a complete mismatch on paper. I've got to give the offense an A uh, for the first month, especially the ones. Uh, they and I've got to give the quarterbacks credit. Alabama's protected the football. They've been very explosive. A lot of different guys touching the ball. I know there's been com- you know you know comments about the offensive line, but as William said, it's a different style of offense. Uh, they're still running the ball at a nice clip. Uh, you know, then they rushed for uh, over 250 yards yesterday. So overall, in just about every aspect, I'm going to give the offense an A. Uh, and Michael Oxley's done a great job. We've seen Dan Enos with his work with Tua Tagovailoa, Jalen Hurts, and even Mac Jones. Uh, and so I, offensively, I'm going to give him an A. Defensively. Uh, I'm going to give them probably a B plus. Uh, certainly, I'm not going to give them an A due to some of the struggles of the backups. That's not the ones' fault. I think the ones have done their job. I think the secondary has been amazing. The the progress that they've made, the pass rush has been improving. Uh, one other, one reason why they won't get an A from me is because of the run fits from the ones at inside linebacker, which William has made great, uh, you know, point. Uh, uh, you know, has done a great job of explaining and pointing out. Uh, we both have. Uh, in the first month of the season. Uh, our special teams-wise, I'm going to give them a B. Of course, there has been issues with the punting and the place kicking. It's been hot and cold with place kicker. Punting has not been great, but certainly the return units have been explosive. Billy Napier, I talked to Josh Jacobs yesterday after the game. Billy Napier went up to Josh Jacobs and made special mention to tell him we were not going to kick you the football. And then Josh Jacobs has been outstanding in kickoff return. We saw what happened when they kicked the ball to Jalen Waddell. He took one to the house. He's had one called back uh, against Louisville. Uh, but so far, I think the special teams units and the coverage units have been pretty good. They've gotten a few penalties on returns, uh, and that's the reason, you know, I'd probably just I'd give them a B, uh, a solid B. But uh, I think there's a room for improvement there. But overall, they're 5-0. and They're ranked number one in the country. And I think the coaching staff has done a really good job with this team because really, relatively, this is what should scare the rest of college football. They're very young and can continue to get better. But I'm going to go to William, and then we'll go to Thomas to wrap it up as far as grades. But William, what would you grade the, the Crimson Tide uh, so far on, in their three phases? Um, I would give them an A on offense. I would give them a A-minus on defense. Uh, and, just, you know, despite the, you know, the weak schedule um, that they faced, they're, they're, you know, number two in scoring defense right now. Uh, you know, they're tied for, uh, I think, third in team sacks. So I'm going to give them an A-. minus. Um, you know, I think the where, where it drops down a little bit, I'll, I'll give them a, a, a B, a solid B, uh, you know, in special teams. Uh, the return game has been very good, um, both on, on punts and kickoffs. Um, you know, we haven't really seen enough of, you know, Skylar Long to, uh, you know, grade him, but you know, certainly Saturday, the, the you know the two misses by Bolivas kind of 
picks that thing down a little bit, but um, you know, I think it's a, an, a, an A plus on offense, a solid A minus on defense, and maybe a, a B minus on special teams. Great. Go ahead, Thomas. What are your thoughts after the first month of the season? Well, offense is an easy A plus. You know, Tua Tungavailo is the only starting quarterback in Division One that hasn't played into the fourth quarter. That's how good the offense has been. Even the backups, you know, Jalen Hurts, I believe it was said earlier, he has the third best QBR in the SEC. And, you know, one, and one more statistical nugget, Tua Tango-Vailoa's QBR, the ESPN QBR system, is a 98, which is uh, absolutely ridiculous. It's essentially, 50 is average, so uh, and it only goes to 100. So Tua has been almost perfect, according to ESPN. But... Anyway, you know, overall, A-plus for the offense. I'm going to give the defense a B-plus. you got to be really heartened by the fact that the front has done a great job generating pressure. I realize most of the sacks actually come from linebackers and uh, safeties in particular. But, you know, even as there's a, on the whole, the passing ability to stop the pass has been excellent. Running, you know, I, not not awful either. You know, yeah, you saw Kellen Mond get 98 total yards, but some of that was just something that's fairly straightforward to clean up in terms of the ability of the outside guys to maintain containment. Also, before maybe Justin Fields in the SEC Championship, Kellen Mond's probably the most purely athletic quarterback that that front will see. Uh, and special teams, it's almost it's almost like you want to divide the question, but I won't. I'll give them a B. I really have been impressed with how well the return games have been handled. Uh, also, the coverage units have been solid. You know, I can't remember a long return outside of maybe one, and that was only to like the opposing team forty. Uh, obviously, as has been said, the punting is not something that's happened very much, thankfully, but that's going to have to get cleaned up, and the place kicking also is going to have to get cleaned up. But at the same time, this is Alabama, and for all of Nick Saban's fantastic recruiting classes, at least the fan base has come to understand that for whatever reason, when Alabama lines up to attempt a field goal, it's a lot more Jesus take the wheel as opposed to this is an automatic three points. So A plus, uh, what did I say, B plus and B minus was what I went with. I think that, that sounds pretty good. And realize that this is really one of the things that needs to be said in terms of all of our grades. We're grading on a fairly extreme curve because every other team on this scale would be marked down significantly because every other team has had these very questionable things arise, whereas Alabama's biggest question has been kicking field goals when they're up 50. But that's it for me, Drew. Well, and I guess as we're wrapping it up here on this Sunday edition of Bams Radio, my prediction, and I'll let you guys give yours as well for Arkansas, I think we're going to see a lot of players play again. Uh, I know it's going to be an 11 o'clock kickoff, and John Chavis's defense did a nice job against Kellen Mond. I mean, he had two picks, no touchdowns. 
didn't run the football nearly as well as he did against Alabama. But I don't think this Arkansas offense is very good. I think the ones can shut them down. I'm going to say 48 to seven Alabama. Uh, I'm I, I, and if they won't get half a hundred because they're going to play some young guys in the second half, uh, but they'll get very very close. I think we'll see Tua probably uh, uh, at least for the first half, and then we'll see Jalen. Maybe a little bit of Mac Jones to uh, mop it up, but my, my prediction is forty-eight to seven Alabama. Uh, what's yours, William? I'm going to go with uh, forty-eight to thirteen, and I think that's uh, the, the thirteen side of that is uh, maybe one touchdown and two field goals. Mm, gotcha. No, no, uh, no doubt about it. And Thomas, uh, certainly, uh, I know you think this is a mismatch on paper. What are your What are your thoughts on the prediction for the game? Uh, 55 to 10. Alabama's going to keep rolling. 55 to 10. Alabama's going to keep rolling. And I also wanted to update basketball a little bit. It broke late Friday night into Saturday morning. Uh, but Jaden Shackelford became, uh, the, uh, or the, uh, the third or commitment to the University of Alabama in their, uh, recruiting class for 2019. He is a shooting guard, uh, from Hesperia High School, uh, in California. He's a top 100 level recruit to go along with Jawan Gary and uh, and uh, Forbes, the uh, shooting guard uh, from Mississippi. Uh, Avery Johnson trying to get better shooting. Of course, Alabama, one of their bugaboos last year, they didn't shoot the three very well. Uh, but they've uh, they've added three pieces now to the puzzle. All these guys are going to sign in November. Now they just focus on the big guys. Drew Timmy, uh, the uh, big uh, the big man from Texas that they've been recruiting, who's a five star. But really, especially Trendon Watford, and I and I talked to someone close to Watford this weekend. Uh, Watford visited Alabama a couple of weeks ago. They, he believes that Alabama is still slightly in the lead over Memphis and Penny Hardaway, but it is a two-horse race between Alabama and Memphis. So it's going to be a very interesting recruitment. Uh, Watford is not expected to sign uh, until the spring. I don't know what Drew Timmy's uh, timeline is. I, I still think Alabama probably won't sign Timmy, but they're certainly battling a lot of great programs uh, such as Gonzaga, which I think he just visited there, uh, and certainly uh, is being recruited nationally. Uh, not not by Duke, but certainly Drew Timmy is a, a, a wanted prospect. So we'll watch Alabama going forward. I think that I thought they would sign three to four guys, and I think Watford is the guy they really want. Uh, you know, uh, certainly if they could get Timmy and Watford, they would take both of them. I think this is going to be a very difficult thing, but uh, it was good to see Shackelford commit to Alabama as he came on his visit from California. Came a long way from home, but uh, they had done a good job, I think, targeting him this summer. And he's another shooter, uh, wanted to be added to the arsenal by Avery Johnson, a 6'3", uh, uh, two guard that is uh, going to come in along with Gary, who's very athletic. And then, uh, and then as we said, uh, the uh, Forbes from uh, Mississippi, who's a very, very good shooter, but just wanted to give that quick update on Alabama basketball recruiting. I'm sure a lot of people have seen that. And uh, Alabama basketball started their practice this week officially. I think they're going to be an NCAA tournament team this year, a very versatile team. Uh, certainly Kyra Lewis has come in as a 17-year-old point guard and an early enrollee that, uh, from the standpoint, has skipped the senior year of high school. I do think there's going to be a lot of expectations on him. I don't think he's going to have the impact, of course, uh, that uh, we saw from uh, you know uh, Colin Sexton, but he's still going to get better and better as the year goes on. And uh, starting under Avery Johnson to learn to become a point guard, he's been more of a scorer, but he will be playing quite a bit along with Dazon Ingram at the point and Avery Jr. It'll be a deep team, and I think if there's been the improvement I'm anticipating, 
the SEC is going to be very difficult, but I think Alabama is going to make back-to-back NCAA tournament, uh, you know, uh, appearances, which would be huge for the program and Avery Johnson. So uh, recruiting looking very strong thus far and looking forward to seeing this team take the court. The first time you'll be able to see them is October 30th against Montevallo inside Coleman Coliseum for an exhibition game. But uh, we want to thank everyone for listening. Our listening numbers have continued to grow. We really appreciate supporting BAMS Radio. We're looking forward to seeing Alabama retake the gridiron on Saturday morning, another 11 a.m. kickoff, so get ready to get up early in Fayetteville as the number one ranked Crimson Tide is going to look to barbecue the pigs and continue Nick Saban's unbeaten run versus the Hogs in Chad Morris' first season. For Thomas Watts, the wizard behind the curtain, and for William Redfish Barger, we appreciate everybody for joining us here on BAMS Radio tonight. Good night and roll tide.